Welcome to College Hockey Southwest Weekly, brought to you by Sprint, the best phones on the best network, a brighter future for all. College Bar and Grill, check out our new location, 740 South Mill Avenue in Tempe. Behind the mask, serving the Valley hockey community since 1994. OxyPow, our chemical-free line of cleaning products, gets the funk out of your equipment or office. M-Drive, for energy, stamina, recovery. Ice Den Scottsdale, practice home of the Arizona Coyotes, also in Chandler. College Hockey Southwest Weekly is part of the IcetimeHockeySW.com network. Here are your hosts, Scott Strandy and Paul Hornstein. All right, welcome in hockey fans in the desert southwest and all over the college hockey world, whether it be United States, Canada, Europe, wherever. Scott Strandy joining you with another episode of College Hockey Southwest Weekly. Also joined with my co-host on beautiful Long Island, New York, Paul Hornstein. Paul, what have you been doing today? Uh, <laughs> I know what I've been doing. <laughs> well... It, it was kind of a mixed bag today. Uh, I got to see the end of the game, uh, five overtimes, uh, Tampa Bay. That's, and that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was in I saw the beginning and the end and the middle, lots of the middle because I had uh, some family obligations. Who the heck knew a game was going to go five overtimes? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man, and, I, love, uh, I love playoff hockey. I mean, these oh. guys just give it everything they got. Okay. It's, it was – and you watched the last 20 minutes of actual game action. Those guys had nothing left. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely nothing left. Uh, they, that last overtime, uh, they were struggling just to get shots off. Yeah. And, and I mean, the shot that wins it is like a little whipper from the top of the circle. It just well, flies by them. And, and you know, it's it's – it was one of the few open shots that that they had in that. Like I said, now let Columbus was blocking just about everything. Yeah, uh, they survived two penalties. Yeah, I know. in the overtimes, um, they played more overtime than actual regulation. How about this, Paul? Eighty-eight shots for the Lightning, sixty-three for the Blue Jackets. I mean, we're talking. Uh, it, it's insane. Okay, that that's professional hockey. We're talking. Yeah, but how do you not? Talk, yeah, I and I get that. But how do you not? I mean, this is you have to talk about this, right? I mean, a game that's like the fourth longest in NHL history. Um, and I'm sure if I if I, if we looked it up, there'd be a lot of college players on those teams. Oh, but, I'm sure. I mean, that's I'm sure. But you have to. I mean, we have to. You have to at least mention it. I'm not trying to <laughs> sit here and we're going to do an hour on on, on the game, but we could um, <laughs> probably could. Yeah. Um, well, we know and, one thing: uh, Boston and Carolina got postponed until tomorrow. Yeah, uh, that's because- crazy. That is that is just that that is just as crazy as yeah. the fact that it 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 went five overtimes. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> You know, it's been compared a couple of times now to a a a, a kids travel right. tournament. This is just the final piece of that puzzle, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I had two text messages during the game today, Paul. One of them came from Zach Reese, who we just did the uh, the official, who we did the M drive. What drives you on? Who did the longest high school game or youth game in uh, Arizona history? Seven overtimes. Oh, and and he he said. They're rivaling my game. And I said, yeah, I think so. And then the second one came from Steve Potvin. I, I asked him, I said, you ever played four overtimes? And he said, oh, my God. And then he said, you know, they're going to have to move that or they're going to have to postpone that next game. And then like an hour or an hour, five minutes after that, they made the announcement the game was being moved. So if um, you're the players, it probably felt like an hour. Uh, oh, yeah. It felt like an hour. Oh, yeah. And then they have 87 minutes between games. So they would have had to wait another 87 minutes before they actually started there. So, okay. All right. So what? Oh, well, I could have. Ah, ah, whatever. <laughs> we still got uh, another game to go tonight after the podcast is done. So we're good. Yeah, we got a huge one, too. It's Vegas. Uh, so I will be tuned into that one, as you know, to try to keep our coverage going. Um Okay, not quite as happy news in the world of college hockey as uh, 
it, it hasn't been officially announced yet out of Arizona State, but the Pac-12 officially did make the announcement that all fall sports would not participate. So I assume that we're going to say that's hockey too, but stranger things have happened, so I'm not well, going to go out on the limb on that yet. But as far as listen, as far as I know, and and listen, it it's going to it could very easily be a very busy January through June if you were covering college sports. Oh, but absolutely. As far as, but as far as I know, and you know, Sean when he comes on uh, can confirm or you know or deny uh, <laughs> that hockey is categorized as a winter sport. So right. we are not at that point yet, uh, at well, least officially. Let, but let me tell you, Paul, what I heard uh, via the uh, the sources today from Arizona State. Uh, basketball is also a winter sport, but they definitely will not play their season at any game scheduled prior to January 1st. So, well, that means basically their whole pre, if you want to call it non-conference slash preseason, is eliminated. They would start if they do start. They will start in January with uh, conference games. So uh, I would yeah, now would me to believe. Is, yeah, but that would, well, and then, okay, but at the same time, I mean that is January. Uh, that is still four or five months away, uh, and. Things could change for both negative and positive. Absolutely. At that time, so I don't. I don't want to be Pollyannish about it. Um. And and and, and we go from there. The Ivy League's not going to start till January first with their teams. Uh, the the Big Ten is probably they they were the first conference to announce that they're pushing back fall sports. Uh, so we're just going to. I'm sure that they're sitting there looking at all the permutations and figuring all right, how can we squeeze everything in from January to the end of June? Because it's well, not like they haven't. It's not like they haven't had college sports after exactly. the semester isn't over. The College World Series for baseball and the Women's yeah. College World Series <laughs> uh, for softball are, all take place after semesters are over. So it's not like it's not done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me tell you this. We've got a great guest tonight. We've got Sean Hogan from College Hockey, Inc. joining us. Uh, the director of education, which is the first thing I'm going to ask him is, uh, how come we get two education guys, you and him, versus me, who's non-educated? <laughs> well, we know that. <laughs> so that'll be the start. The second thing is, um, you know, if I were NCAA College Hockey, and I'm not saying that they aren't already, but I would be taking the lead from NHL, and I would start to be planning right now, and I would try to make the very best I could from January to June or whatever it takes to get our season in, and I would make it spectacular if that's at all possible to play it. So that's my two cents worth. Uh, Paul, without any further ado, let's uh, let's bring on our guest, Sean Hogan from College Hockey, Inc. Sean, you got Scott and Paul with you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And, and the first question, Paul, Right off, or I mean, uh, Sean. Right off the get-go, is what is the director of education for College Hockey Inc.? Well, first off, I'm excited to be here, guys. Can you hear me? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to be on your show. Well, uh, we do a variety of things at uh, College Hockey Inc. You probably see us a lot in the media when it comes to uh, partnering with NCAA Division One athletic departments to create more men's Division One hockey opportunities. So recently, you saw. Uh, St. Thomas University of Minnesota, and then uh, obviously Long Island uh, University uh, in New York, and then um, it's been public about University of uh, Ill or Illinois University adding men's hockey, hopefully soon. Uh, but in my role in particular, really what we do is we're an education organization, and we're trying to educate the aspiring 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old hockey player uh, on the benefits of college hockey because it is so much different. Um, then maybe a player that, that play that wants to go to the NFL for football because they can play high school football, college football, and then the NFL. Whereas a hockey player who wants to go to the NHL has all these different kind of options, and, and one of those options is a college hockey development path, and that's what we like to educate our players on. Yeah, very well said. I'm going to let Paul jump in here in a minute, Sean, I promise. But uh, <laughs> I, I want to ask you a question because – well, a couple of questions. First of all, I asked you about a year ago when Coach Powers got his 200th win to send me a message, and you did. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, oh, no problem. That was a big moment. I know for Coach, he'll try to deny it, but I know he was uh, very proud of 
what he's accomplished. And second of all, you uh, you did some coaching out here in the desert southwest, didn't you? I did, yeah. And uh, first, I mean, just personally, I'm extremely proud of uh, of Greg Powers at Arizona State and what he's done. Uh, similar backgrounds, him and I, you know, coaching in the ACHA and just seeing what he's been able to do at the highest collegiate level um, in the world. Just, I'm just really proud of the culture he's created there at ASU. But yeah, I had an opportunity. I, um, I started coaching uh, in the ACHA at Oakland University and spent some time at uh, Western Michigan as a volunteer assistant. And after that, the uh, opportunity at the University of Arizona opened up and I jumped all over it. And uh, it was a great three years. I, I loved living in Tucson. I loved living in Arizona. I loved helping build that program. And uh, it was a great experience. All right, Paul. To, want, Scott, I just, I just figured, <laughs> I, I just figured at this point you would throw in what you normally would throw in, and and just you know try to cause trouble right off the bat. Even okay. Though, so, so Sean, let me tell you what you're one. up against. You, you yeah. got the ASU alum who absolutely bleeds maroon and gold, and oh, uh, sure. and we had Cap Carry on a while ago, and uh, and Paul played nice, so I told him today he was going to have to play nice too. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, Fire away, Paul. I know you got a ton, a ton of questions. Well, the the first the, the first thing is is that before we get into the promotion of other schools adding uh, the game, uh, mm-hmm. as now do you what happens? How do you come in contact uh, as an organization with some of these players? Do you just go around to to individual youth organizations? Do they call you? How does that? How yeah. does that work? Good question. So, so, so a mixture of everything. We we host. Well, pr- prior to our, our the current pandemic situation, we would host live events where you invite, like in Michigan, for example. Um, right before it was right after the uh, everything shut down, so we had to cancel our event. But typically, in Michigan, for example, we would host an event and invite some of the top two thousand four uh, age group players because this the two thousand four age group was the year. Uh, this year, they were had opportunity to be drafted in the OHL. Uh, so we bring the top players in. Uh, we bring in some NCAA coaches for a Q&A session. Um, they get an on-ice portion uh, of practice with the NCAA coaches. And then we uh, have the opportunity to present to them uh, the benefits of the college hockey path. So that's the main way um, that we communicated with players. Uh, recently, what we've done is much more just kind of a hands-on, one-on-one approach where I will call um all, basically all the players that were drafted in a CHL organization, whether it was or the American players, uh, whether they're drafted in the WHL or the Q or, or the O, and try to have individual conversations with them and try to um, educate them on, on the college hockey path and, and see if they have any questions. Um, and we've also been hosting a lot of webinars now, um, online option for players to uh, meet with me and ask questions. And, um, you know, a day in the life of a college hockey player, um, all, right. all sorts of different opportunities for them to uh, to ask questions, but it's a variety of ways. It's from individual conversations to meeting with some of the top AAA organizations uh, to webinars to hosting our own events. Well, does this now give you a chance to get a little bit more reach uh, for kids that you might not necessarily get a chance to reach uh, uh, more of the Canadian kids and more of the European kids that are playing that uh, might be interested in coming over and and playing uh, NCAA hockey? You're right. That's a good question. So what we've found since we've kind of switched it up and made the more one-on-one approach, we've had a lot more contact. We've had a lot more individual conversations. We've had an opportunity to speak with uh, a lot more Canadian players, a lot more European players. Um, it's funny that you bring up European college hockey players. Uh, that number is at 114 now in the NCAA, and that's the highest ever. Um, right. So it really is becoming the uh, kind of the world's place to develop for the NHL. We have Thirty percent of the league is Canadian, or the NCAA is Canadian. Right. Um, One hundred fourteen Europeans, and and uh, a vast majority are Americans. And um, that being said, thirty three percent of the NHL now is college hockey players. And at one point, if you went back 50, 60 years, there was only one uh, NHL player that played NCAA hockey. Now we're one in three, so it's continuing to grow. Well, uh, listen, as as we have discussed on this uh, on our on this on this show before. Uh, we can we can put an exact date, really, on when the influence of college hockey started to hit the NHL, at least publicly. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys in Lake Placid were a lot of those guys who had been uh, amongst the first American college players to really be drafted at a high For level. Sure. 
and those guys winning put the face of college hockey on the sports map uh, and the NHL map, uh, and it, it's taken off ever since. Um, so um, it's it's pretty easy to pinpoint when it happened and where it garnered the respect. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit more about the organization itself. Um, how old is it? Uh, whose idea was it? And how it got started? So all great questions. Um, about 10 years old, uh, College Hockey Inc., um, whose idea it was, was about 10 or 15 years ago, what you saw um, was an uptick in the amount of American players leaving uh, the United States uh, to join teams in the, the CHL, the OHL, the Q, and, and the Western Hockey League. Um, so exactly whose idea was, I couldn't tell you, but I well, okay. But you uh, get the, I mean, you know, you know how to yeah, basically the, the commission. Yeah. The commissioners of, uh, the, the hockey conferences came together and thought, well, we need to have a, a marketing campaign or a educational to educate our young players on how elite, uh, college hockey is and how, how elite college hockey has become. Um, so this organization was created, um, and initially it, it was, in Massachusetts, but now there's three of us that, that, that do this. Mike Sneeze, the executive director in Minnesota. Uh, I'm in uh, in Plymouth, uh, in Michigan, and Nate Ewell's in Massachusetts. So we're we're in three different places across the U.S. So we have an opportunity to to get out to all sorts of different places. But really, it, it stemmed from that uptick in, in American players leaving to play in the CHL. And uh, since the uh, since we've been established, that that number has consistently decreased with more and more players playing. Uh, college hockey and the college hockey uh, being that percentage of college hockey players in the NHL has gone up. So uh, we don't like to take all the credit, but we think that what we're doing is working <laughs> for sure. Um, okay. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, you got one more? No, no, no go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Okay. We'll, we'll get them all uh, in. Okay. We'll Sean, Sean, I just wanted to ask you, uh, since the pandemic hit and really uh, changed life for everybody in every aspect but hockey we'll look at it from the hockey side of it i talked to the guys at asu and you could see their disappointment in not being able to participate in what looked like another ncaa tournament and then i talked to a lot of administrators and a lot of media people over the last four months and and they've said you know we're amazed that uh we didn't not only lose college hockey programs but we gained two so do you have any explanation on how we were able to gain Two and, and Paul and I are big advocates as well of of adding more teams. I mean, we push it real hard out here in the West as well. But um, mm-hmm. how do we gain two teams during the middle of a pandemic? That, that, that's that's a good question. Now, I, I can give you my opinion, and I, and I speculate that that schools that add hockey, um, would you see a school like Long Island University? It gives Long Island University that, the opportunity to compete against and possibly win game like win games against and have teams on their schedule like Boston College and Michigan and Michigan State and, and a large institution like Arizona State whereas other sports doesn't doesn't always provide opportunities uh, like for schools like that to compete on a national level so when you add, see like St. Thomas for example going from division 3 to division 1 there in Minnesota they're going to be able to play against the University of Minnesota probably immediately um, and have those big names on their schedule and be able to compete nationally and compete for a national championship where in other sports that's not always possible for schools like that. So in my opinion, I, I think when schools want, want to – they look at the sport landscape, the NCAA landscape, where can we compete nationally? Where can we where can we compete for a national championship? And, and, and men's hockey oftentimes is a opportunity for schools like that. Well, yeah, let's not forget – no, it does because if you look at it, and obviously they got – um, blindsided by the pandemic too, but the LIU women's program was in their first year. They won their conference. I don't know if they mm-hmm. had eligibility for the national tournament, but mm-hmm. they, they turned around and, and they started off slowly, as you would imagine, and came out at the end of the year and won their conference tournament. So mm-hmm. you're talking about a first-year program competing with places that have been uh, had skin in the game for a while. Correct. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's special about about men's hockey and women's hockey at the, at the college level is that you, you see all these different size academic institutions competing for a national championship against schools with 75,000 students and schools with 5,000 students. And it's uh, something that's unique and special about our game for sure. 
Okay, so so Sean, in addition to adding the two teams, uh, one of the things Paul and I are also talking about, and I challenged him on a blog this week, um, buildings are coming up. I, I made a trip back home to Minnesota um, on a little working vacation, and I made a point to stop in as many arenas as I could. Uh, I, I, I saw nine. some of that on social media, <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I hit like nine or ten, right? And mm-hmm. my last one was at Colorado College, and it's been years since I've been on the campus there, but... Um, to see that building coming up in the middle of a pandemic again, right on campus, I mean, that right there would have, you know, if I was 40 years younger, I would have been signing up to go play hockey at Colorado College. Um, there's a building in the works here at Arizona State, and we hope that mm-hmm. everything's still on plans. I've been told it is. But, um, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you look at it and you go like, hey, that could that could be something positive, right? Because we could put people to work building the the building and it could be a revenue draw because there's going to eventually be naming rights and all of those things that go along with it. So um, are you surprised, I guess, that that hockey rinks continue to be built during this time? Or is that something you look at as a positive? I definitely look at it as a positive and I can, and I can't speak to each institution's, you know, financial situation, but I will say that facilities play a huge factor when you, when you want to re- recruit at, at an elite level and at a national level, really at a world level, and you want to bring in the best players, uh, you need to have uh, the facilities to, to house those players. And that's one of the things that we, when we educate players about the path, we talk about, you know, not only the, the on-campus experience in the rink, but the, you know, the off-campus experience, the, the world-class strength and conditioning facilities. These are all things that um, aren't always offered uh, on some of the other choices they have in the paths that they have, but are definitely second to none at NCAA Division One institutions. And just the, the benefits that, a, a player has to to play in a building like that and and go to go to school on, on campuses like that and be also the strength conditioning component so it's really exciting for hockey and really exciting time overall for for the game so when you guys talk to not just players because you guys are also uh given the task if i'm not mistaken uh, t- to be uh another wing or whatever phrase you might want to use uh, to talking to the various institutions and getting them to add the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, Who takes on those kinds of roles? And, 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 and I would assume, and I don't want to, and I really shouldn't do that because uh, (laughs) you know what that means. It's a bad (laughs) habit. But I mean, at least the numbers that I've seen uh, schools that have, Division one hockey, it usually is right behind football and men's basketball in terms of bringing in revenue. Uh, who and how do you guys handle that, if at all? So if a, if a school or an athletic department is interested in adding men's Division one hockey, uh, how College Hockey Inc. fits into it, and, and, and our executive director, Mike Sneed, does, does a great job handling, you know, basically 100% of, of these situations, but we okay. have a partnership with, with the NHL um, that can provide a, a university with a feasibility study. Um, and so they would, you know, go, go through our organization um, and we would be able to help them with that feasibility study and then answer questions along the way. And I don't, I don't want to say serve as a consultant, but be able to answer questions uh, along the way and, and be able to provide, you know, how other schools have done it or how other schools are doing it. Uh, so that's where we fall into the process. Now, is that kind of a mixed bag, too? Do sometimes you go to the people direct you to institutions, and I don't mean you specifically, but the organization, and do sometimes the schools come to you guys? Is it kind of a mixed yeah, bag so that l- way, too? Yeah, l- a little bit of a, of a mixture of both. Um, it, it, people might say, hey, ask us, has a school considered a- adding hockey? But typically, uh, if a school is serious and, and they're, and they're interested in taking that, that first step of a feasibility study, they'll contact us and then we'll walk them through the process from there. Okay, Sean, since you were able to uh, coach in the ACHA out here in the desert Southwest, I'm guessing you still kind of keep tabs on, on what's happening out here. But um, when I started this company five years ago, my goal was to, to um, grow the game of hockey in the desert Southwest through features and interviews and different things like that. And so I got to know the players and the coaches and stuff right off the get-go to find where the interesting stories were. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe, and Coach Powers will say this and probably has told you this, that he kind of rated his ACHA team 
to uh, to build his NCAA program, at least in the first year. So yes, everything was kind of down, right? I mean, ASU was down. U of A had just gotten Chad Berman and was, was trying to rework that. And, you know, the situation with ICE in, in Tucson. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and UNLV had, had just kind of had a resurgence uh, and was trying to, to rebuild. And then Grand Canyon came on board and, and I joke with the ACHA coaches um, on our Wednesday show, which is Club Hockey Southwest Weekly. When I talk to them, I, I always tell them, I think there's an arms race going on here in the desert Southwest because they're all competitive and they all not only want to win, but they want to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. And, and and here's my question. Coach Powers has laid a, a roadmap like, for everybody, right? And he's told them basically three things. He said, if you want to make that jump to NCAA hockey, you're going to need – a, some finances. B, you're going to need support of your uh, athletic department at your university. And then C, he tells them all that uh, you must win at the level you're at first. You can't just yeah, be absolutely. good. Mm-hmm. You must win. So your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I think he's right. I think it, it, it brings me to the point where I was, I was fortunate enough when I was at Western Michigan uh, as a volunteer assistant, the head coach at the time was Jeff Blaschel, who's now the head coach of the Red Wings. And and it's similar to what he told me, and you can't focus on your next job until you do a great job where you're at. And that's that's true for players, that's true for coaches, that's true for programs. So um, you can't focus on jumping into the next level until you do a great job where you're at. So you, in terms of winning, whether it's winning an ACHA championship or not, it's or national championship or not, it's, it's being consistently good for, for a long period of time. And if you do that, you, you'll build a fan base, you'll build relationships, you'll build credibility um, on campus, not only in your campus rep department, but also with the athletic department. And it takes time and it takes, and Greg did a great job of being consistent and, and being good for, for a long period of time. And he, he was really turning heads, bringing in players from the USHL at the time, which was not always happening in, in the ACHA. And he was bringing in high level North uh, NAHL players and, uh, he did that consistently, and um, I don't think he was ever focused on getting to the next level. I think he was just focused on being great where he was at, and the opportunities came for him. So I think that's a pretty good roadmap. Okay, so you 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 coached at, at uh, Oakland University, which if people doesn't don't know, that's in uh, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went to Western Michigan as volunteer assistant, uh, and, and so I can see how you ended up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. After that, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Are you getting yeah. that something, Paul? <laughs> no, no, no. Why would I do that? Uh, then you went and coached at that other place in Arizona that we do not mention. Um, how did you, you end don't up in mention. college hockey? <laughs> yeah, I don't mention. I don't care. So I'll tell you about uh, it. I was real fortunate in the ACHA. We we won a few national championships, and I had the opportunity to coach, you know, with the national university team, and and the, the ACHA provided me with, with a ton of opportunity and, and, and a ton of great experience. And uh, um, I was at Ohio University, um, happy there, you know, co- coached there five years. My, my wife, or my now wife, um, at the time was working uh, in the athletic department at, at Ohio University. And an opportunity for her um, came up at Michigan State University, um, an opportunity that we really couldn't pass up. So um, she got the job at Michigan State. And I said, absolutely accepted we'll, we'll fi- i'll figure it out when we get back to michigan because that's where i was from and uh-huh. it just happened to coincide uh with with an opening at college hockey inc uh, uh brent darnell was in this position before and he accepted a, an assistant coach position with uh the national development team and uh, this position opened up and i didn't i didn't know mike and i didn't know nate and i kind of was i applied and went through the process and was able to, <laughs> to land the position so i uh, was really excited uh, about it and i, I the opportunity here at College Hockey Inc. is a great one and uh, to be around the game at a high level and uh, talk to players every day. It's, uh, I really enjoy what we're doing. Now, you mentioned the national development team. Just out of curiosity, how much uh, interaction is there between you guys and the national team development program? Uh, well, well, quite a bit. So my typically, uh, again, I'm working from home now, but uh, my office yeah, well, is typically uh, at USA Hockey Arena. So I'm there pretty much every day uh, with the okay. coaches and, the, and not, not really, you know, I'm not on the ice with the team or anything, but, but I'm <laughs> building that and I see the team right. every day and I, I talk to the coaches every day. So quite a bit of interaction between our, our uh, myself and their staffs. 
Oh, oh I, I was, I'm sorry. I was expecting more there for a second. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. That's all right. I, I was like, there was quite a bit of interaction. I was like, okay. Yep. Uh, you caught me off guard there. I, I, listen, I'm a little woozy from watching the fifth overtime, too. So. That was a long game. Uh, I watched oh, it. Oh, my that Lord. Started okay. in the afternoon. And, so. All right. So, so, Sean, I want to dig in a little bit more to the pandemic thing because so many things are, are happening and so many unknowns out there. And, and from, you know, you mentioned you're working from home. I'm working from home. We all work from home now, it seems like, because mm-hmm. it's hard to get in. But uh, some things, and I'm going to throw these at you, and then you tell me what you think. Uh, I look at the Desert Southwest, and I see a lot of youth teams competing on the ice. I was just over at Oceanside, and, and there was a bunch of kids competing at the youth level. And then we go up to the ACHA and the, the NCAA level, and obviously the liability is the concern there. So they're mm-hmm. pretty much in a pause right now. But then uh, the end of this month, I'm going to Dubuque at the uh, and doing a story at US at the uh, USHL team there. Uh, and when I go to Dubuque, uh, they're telling me right now that they think the USHL is full steam ahead until something derails them. <laughs> so yeah. when I throw that, is that kind of the way you're seeing the whole general hockey landscape in the pandemic era? Yeah, I see, I see it the same way. I mean, I, I obviously I'm glad I'm not the one having to make decisions like this. These are obviously decisions that should be made at, at a much more educated level than, than where I'm at. Um, but it seems to me it's almost very state to state, right? So in Arizona, it sounds like the, the youth players are on the ice and in Michigan uh, where I'm at, we're, we're not quite on the ice yet. So, I think it just depends on what's going to be allowed and uh, at where you live and um, how each state handles the situation. But definitely tough decisions, and I'm glad I'm not the one having to make them for sure. <laughs> so can I can I follow that up real quickly with how difficult is that on your job, or is it? Because like for us in the podcasting, our podcast took off starting in April because pretty much all of our guests were available, right? <laughs> there wasn't mm-hmm. things yeah. going on. So whenever I ask somebody, they go, sure, we'll come on. Um, mm-hmm. So is that making it, uh, you know, the adaptation of working from home and using Zoom and technology, is that making it better or, or worse for your job? Um, well, in some ways it, it, it is making it, uh, it is making it better. Like I said, I mean, we're having much more one-on-one conversations. I can, you know, everybody's adapted uh, with zoom now and knows how to use zoom. So we're, we're, we're doing a lot of webinars and talking with uh, youth coaches and, and, and players. And then in other ways, it's, you know, it's not what we want. I, I want to be out in front of people. I want to be at the rink. I want to be talking to players uh, at, um, at the rink and, and watching games and watching players compete. So in that way, it's difficult. Uh, but in terms of communication, I think it's opened up a lot of, different avenues for us that we weren't utilizing before for sure now, now sean correct me if i'm wrong uh, with hockey it's a little bit different than say a lot of the other sports because players are making their decisions two or three years out from when they actually set foot on campus so does that make your regardless of the pandemic or anything else does that make your job easier or harder well, I think it makes it makes our job necessary. I don't know if it, it is easier or harder, but because hockey is so different in that, um, I'll just touch on the last year, the, the recruiting rules changed, right? So a player right. cannot have any contact with a college hockey coach before January 1st of, of his sophomore year. No commitments can be made until August 1st before their junior year. Um, but players, especially elite ones that are 14 and 15 years old, um, 14, his youngest 14 in the WHL and 15 in, in the other leagues, can be pursued and drafted and, and have conversations with um, ma- major junior teams, oftentimes before a college hockey can, uh, coach can have communication with them. So that makes our job necessary. We need to make sure that we're educating these players that they keep both options open for as long as they can um, to make sure that they can see what path uh, can be laid out for them with the college hockey path and all the benefits that that, that we provide. So really it makes our job necessary for sure, because it is so different than the other sports. Now this is is some of the things that I'm not used to dealing with uh, mostly because you said, as you said, hockey is so different than the other sports. The, the, the junior leagues are not drafting these kids at 14 though, right? It's gotta be be a little older than that. Drafting them at 14. Yeah, the 2005 age group was the uh, was a draft eligible age group for the uh, Bantam draft in the WHL. 
Uh, that's, uh, wow, that's Paul. I'm gonna yeah, let you. I'm gonna let you digest that one minute. <laughs> yeah, so that's why. That's why. Really, why we exist, right? Is we want to make sure that players, because once they sign, once a player signs in the a major junior organization, they've jeopardized their NCAA eligibility, and players have done that as early as 14 years old. And sometimes, but they're not playing at 14, though. Typically not. No, typically they can play at 15 or 16, or 16, and then they can get what's called exempt status or okay. exceptional status and play at 15. But yeah, they can, they, they can be, it's the Bantam draft um, out West. And then it's the uh, 2005 first year midget minor or 15 only age group uh, for the uh, OHL and the Q, which is, yeah, it's young. Sean, uh, go ahead. Sean, uh, give us a little feedback uh, if you got, can about um, your, your work with the USHL and the NAHL, because we see a lot of those players, uh, obviously coming to Arizona State and other uh, NCAA programs. But um, th- that that's part one, if you can c- touch on that. And then the other one before uh, we wind things down here, um, I want to uh, make sure that you touch on the um, <laughs> the situation at Huntsville where they went away for a week and came back and players were, uh, were basically left to uh, make decisions on their own for the most part. So – the first part with the USHL and the North American Hockey League, um, with the USHL, I serve as their education uh, consultant, basically director of education. And really it's, um, I serve as a liaison for the academic coordinators for each USHL team, if they have questions about eligibility or, or things about specific players. Uh, but when in, term, in terms of uh, communicating with those players, most of those players, they're, they're older. So they're on our college hockey path, right? The players that play in the North American Hockey League and the USHL, are on the college hockey path. It's it's the players that are before that age um, that would, after midget, instead of going to the USHL, may, maybe make a decision to play in the Canadian Hockey League, are the players that, that we are educating. And uh, really the main, there's a variety of reasons, right, of, of why we feel college hockey uh, is the path to the NHL. There's a variety from our coaching to the time, the amount of time you're on the ice to, you know, the academic experience to, the strength, uh, strength and conditioning experience, but really what it is is, if you think about it, if you play, if you if you choose a different path than college, you're you're choosing the under twenty junior league, right? And by the time you turn twenty years old, you need to be ready for professional hockey at twenty. Whereas in college hockey, if you stay eligible for college hockey, you can play in the USHL and North American League until you're, you know, nineteen twenty years old, because the average commitment is almost nineteen years old. The average freshman is twenty years old. And you can play at 21, 22, 23, 24 years old uh, in college hockey preparing for the NHL. Because the NHL average rookie age is 23 years old. So it allows you those that those years of 21, 22 to fully develop and get ready for the NHL. Um, so really that's what we're educating players on, um, on their decision-making process. And the second part of that was uh, the Alabama-Huntsville question. Um, when it came out that they were going to drop their program, it was – you know, devastating because they, they have such a rich history, you know, all the way back to even NCAA Division II winning national championships. And um, they've had a, uh, you know, a tradition and a, 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 a rich history at Division One as well. So uh, once the, there was uh, some alumni that, that stepped up and really, you know, pitched in to, to help Hunts, uh, Alabama Huntsville out, it's, uh, it, for me, I, I was extremely happy to see it because I think the more college hockey opportunities um, around the country, the better it is for for our athletes. So I was glad to see that they uh, uh, were able to, to pull it out. Well, you mentioned uh, a couple of places and uh, Scott and I have had this conversation before. Uh, now that we've kind of gotten past the, uh, gotten through a lot of the informational parts of uh, the, the program here, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but uh, uh, you mentioned uh, one of the places you've been at, uh, Oakland University, and you mentioned (sighs) Illinois, which uh, (laughs) that's that's why Sean is because we talk about Illinois almost every other show. (laughs) We were we were pretty excited. We were like we we were we on the brink of an announcement uh, when the pandemic hit. So hopefully Um, on the other side they'll they'll uh, yeah uh, yeah. But um, those are a couple of places. Because at one point when, uh, when you know, College Hockey Inc. started, that was one of the places that was publicly announced as kind of being uh, 
uh, involved in feasibility studies. And I don't know how long those last. And that's, you know, I'm sure it's different for every school. But just out of curiosity, and I'm not going to ask you to mention any names because that wouldn't be right. But have there been any schools that have spoken to you guys about feasibility studies and you kind of like, like, what? That um, really, that yeah, so uh, <laughs> what we can say is there's uh, – and most schools ask to, to – ask us not to not to share right and i understand that i've not there's there's schools um that are always i don't want to say waiting in the wings but there's schools that that ask about it and and have questions about it uh fairly often and i am comfortable saying that i think there will be more ncaa division one uh men's college hockey opportunities in the future than than there than less um so i do i am you know, confident in that that will continue to add uh, Division One hockey opportunities. So, which that which that is exciting for our game. Oh sure. So and I, and I and obviously this would be just pure pure speculation. Um, would you say that uh, this is 2020? Would you say that the possibility exists that by 2030 we might be somewhere near 70? Or is that just me going <laughs> that would crazy? Be, that, that would that would be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> that'd be one a year. Uh, yeah, maybe well one every other year. Or so or let's um, so let you, I, you I pick a lower number. Sixty four. Sixty four. I think there could be sixty four or sixty five or sixty six teams in, in, in the next ten years. That, which I think that's that, that's a possibility for sure. And uh, that's, which is not bad, right? Great. I mean, that's oh, a, a new team every couple of years. You know what would be great. Pac-12 hockey would be great. Oh, <laughs> well, let's, I, I yeah, well, let's, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Are you listening, UCLA, USC, yeah. well, <laughs> Oregon? I would love that. Now we're talking. Uh, listen, um, we, we, if, 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 if mentioning that other school's name makes it happen, I'll do it. Come on. <laughs> Show me somebody that's willing to write the check for me to write, oh, mention that, that name really and – and and we'll be uh, good. And I promise. I the first, every the week. first thing that needs to happen at, at Arizona for Chad, though, is that practice rink, man. Like, a nice rink. Oh, we, we, yes. we had the same problems. We were practicing in Phoenix. We were. It was like it was. It was a lot of work, but uh, but also a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah. They need a uh, they need a youth hockey facility there. Oh, do they ever? Well, yeah. hopefully, hopefully that's in the works with the uh, Arizona Coyotes. They have continued success in their new uh, minority. Uh, ownership and, and management now is uh, got to focus on that area I know so hopefully that's coming down the road a lot sooner than 2030 because I know I know coach Berman can't can't handle that much longer because it's a tough situation but well, listen, no, listen Scott I had to give I had to give him some laugh and I couldn't say 2022 right I mean yeah. that, that would just be nuts I, I know but uh, okay so let me piggyback on on that just a bit John and, and ask you about conferences because in NCAA hockey the conferences now have had a little upheaval and if you would have told me five years ago and I sat with Greg in his office talking about what he was going to do the first year if you would have said that there is a chance and I'm saying chance that Arizona State could join a uh, conference like the NCHC um mm-hmm. Uh, I probably would have laughed you right out of the room. Uh, but what he's done so far, and I, I talked to a lot of NCHC coaches, uh, especially over the last month, and um, there seems to be a little bit of a push that Arizona State might be a nice fit because of Colorado College and Denver and getting to Minnesota and being able to go from Minneapolis to UMD and Duluth and go to North Dakota. And uh, So, what are your thoughts on that? Does that is that a good fit in your estimation, the NCHC, uh, or is there a better place for them? Yeah, I don't know if there if there's a better place, or it, I would I would say that um, a, a school like Arizona State uh, with brand recognition and the the amount of alum that the alumni base that they have, and and where Arizona State is situated in the country, especially with, with with a new building, I think that any conference would would happily uh, want the Sun Devils uh, involved, especially with what a great job they're doing there with that hockey program. I mean, they're, they're really competing for national championships already. So uh, whether it's the NCHC or the new CCHA or, or affiliate member in the, in the big 10, I think uh, they've built a program there where they can probably choose wherever they would like to go, um, which is a credit to, to Greg and their staff for sure. How many games do you get to go to normally? 
Well, I, li- I so I live in East Lansing, Michigan. Right. Um, where Michigan State University is, I, I live really walking distance to campus and walking yeah. distance to <laughs> nice. So we've uh, gone to quite a few Michigan State games uh, th- this past season. Um, and then typically, what I like to do is uh, visit with uh, assistant coaches, um, whether they're coming here to play Michigan State or they're an hour down the road. Uh, at Western Michigan or an hour the other way at University of Michigan. I like to meet with the opposing coaches staff. So we get, get to quite a few games on the, uh, on the weekends and then have some pretty good conversations with the assistant coaches as well. Okay. So uh, I'll give you my final one. Then Paul can give you a final one and I promise we'll let you go. We've, uh, we've enjoyed the conversation and you're welcome anytime, uh, yeah. Sean. So um, anytime we talk college hockey or even <laughs> talk about the ACHA as well. So that's good stuff. Okay. So, you know, we know you're, you're out there telling these, these youngsters um, how to prepare them for a college and, and the benefits of going to college hockey. And um, what I've seen here, and I think Paul would agree with me is that uh, guys like a Brinson Pashnik and a Steen Pashnik and Joey Decord and, guys that have made the jump now and signed professional contracts, um, they seem to fit the mold that you're trying to impress on, on youngsters, right? That, that this is how you do it. This is how you can get to the NHL and, and at least uh, get your shot, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So just your thought on that. Is that really what you want to see happen from a college uh, perspective when you get somebody convinced to come into the program? Yeah, I think we want – I want people when they think about college hockey, not only think about obviously the great academics and, and all the, the things away from hockey, but I want them to see it as that's where I go to prepare for the NHL. Um, because there are, there's, a, there's all sorts of different paths for, for a player heading to the NHL, but I want the number one path to be, I want to go play college hockey because that's where I get ready to play at the NHL at the highest level in the world. And what I try to, when, when I try to educate these players is really is that development path, right? You have the opportunity to pay, play past 20 years old and not have to be ready for professional hockey. You can continue to develop at that 21, 22, 23. And you mentioned Joey Decord with goalies. Goalies have, have an even longer development path for the NHL. So it allows them an opportunity um, to continue to play uh, in that environment that we talked about with the great coaches and you're on the ice every day while you're going to school and with the strength and conditioning coaches to prepare for the NHL. So that's really my goal is, is for, for players from all around the world to look at it and say, that's where I want to go because if I go there, I can play in the NHL. Well, let, let me ask that question in, in, in a different way um, because we know that obviously the NHL is the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. Okay. How much does it help that – guys get a chance to play pro hockey, period, be it the the ECHL or the AHL or even to go play professionally over in Europe. How much does it help when those things – because we see the NHL stuff, mm-hmm. okay? And obviously that's everybody's ultimate long-term goal is to play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. How – go ahead. I think I got you. I, I – I... I think it, you know, any time a player advances to, to professional hockey, regardless of the level, it's a great opportunity for that player. Um, and it, it's another, you know, feather in the cap of, uh, of that college and for, for developing that player. But really at the end of the day, we want the most, the, the, the players that are seen the most, the NHL guys, I want, just like we do with basketball and football, right? If, if you watch an NFL game, you're like, oh, that player went to Alabama, that player in a basketball game, you're like, that player went to Duke. I want people to watch the NHL and be like, that was an ASU player. That was a Minnesota Duluth player. That was a Michigan State player. And I think that's what we're, uh, we're trying to get to is that it becomes the number one route to the NHL. That's That'd be my goal personally. That's what I want to see. Well, I, I can tell you um, I got my hand up, if you can see it, uh, over the podcast because that's what I watch. I was watching Minnesota Wild play, and I saw Nico Sturm, and I was telling Paul that we had a chance to visit with Nico, who I think is one of the one of the uh, – nicest kids I've ever met in, in college hockey. And uh, it was really fun to to visit him and then see him score his first NHL goal in the playoffs for Minnesota. And I know they got eliminated quickly. But, um, Sean, thanks so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. I hope the uh, the family's doing well. That, that new little girl is, what, how old now? 
Well, we have we have a little boy who's almost two, but we'll have a little girl in uh, November. So oh, and, the, and the little girl's on the way. It's the it's a little boy that I was thinking. <laughs> you got it. Yep. Well, so, so you're at... already used to not sleeping. Yeah, right. And we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have two children under under two years old. Really, yes, yeah, so we'll be pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, stay safe in the pandemic. Continue up the the good work that you're doing, and uh, hopefully we'll run into each other in person somewhere when I uh, when I get up that way. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, guys. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. All right. That's Sean Hogan with College Hockey, Inc. We appreciate his time and for him joining us. And, and U of A fans, uh, that, that's your old coach, Sean Hogan, who's moving up in the world and uh, doing lots of good things, uh, helping prepare kids for college hockey. We're going to take a couple-minute break and, and get some of our uh, partners involved in the conversation. And Paul and I will be right back to wrap up another edition of College Hockey Southwest Weekly. Ask any player who laces up a pair of skates in Arizona or Nevada, and they'll all tell you the same thing. We love going to the rink and sandals. Now you can show off your game in style with summer skates. Officially licensed summer skates are comfortable, washable, and can be designed to show off your fandom. Bill Kessel, your guy? Big William Carlson fan? Or is Austin Matthews the man? Have your summer skates designed to show off your favorite NHL player, or shout out your own game with your own number. Team discounts and customization available, too, for groups of 12 or more. Thirsty after getting off the ice? Our new koozies are perfect for keeping that cold one cold in the desert heat. Comfortable and durable. Show up to the rink in style. An authorized retailer of summer skates, you can purchase yours through our website at icetimehockeysw.com. Looking for your next car? Head out to 2401 West Bell Road in Phoenix and stop in at Bell Ford, the Arizona Ford Giant. Come in and check out our great deals on the remaining 2020 Fords, as well as the new 2021 models just arriving, like the new E450 pickup truck during our summer outdoor and SUV sale. Voted the number one Ford dealer in Arizona by Ranking Arizona, we will do what it takes to make your car buying experience safe and convenient shop online at bellford.com we'll bring everything to you on your schedule schedule a test drive need a repair we'll come pick up your vehicle and bring it back to you our sales and service professionals are ready to help in any way to make sure you are happy and satisfied go online to bellford.com or call us at 602-866-1776 and let us show you why we've been the dealership that keeps Shane Doan coming back year after year. Hey, Michael here from M-Drive. My dad, a world-class scientist, actually made M-Drive for himself to stay active and continue enjoying life. And yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. M-Drive is the everyday supplement to fuel your drive with more energy and more strength. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. Visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just type in the code DRIVE at checkout. Refine your pot with mDrive. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancium Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails. Whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila. Award-winning taste since 2011. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes.
behind the mask hockey shop celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you visit any one of our three valley locations or check us out online at behindthemask.com Pre-game like a pro, post-game like a champion at College Bar and Grill. Located in downtown Tempe at 740 South Mill Avenue, College Bar and Grill is the place for the best local craft beers, tasty food, and Tempe's best atmosphere for Arizona State athletics. A short walk from Sun Devil Stadium or Desert Financial Arena, stop by for lunch or dinner, game day or any day, College Bar and Grill. All right, we're back. Scott Strandy joining you from beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, where we're on day 36 of uh, the year of uh, 110 degrees or better. Paul Hornstein joining me from that beautiful palatial estate on uh, Long Island, New York. So, Paul, um, great insight from Sean. He, uh, he has a lot of information that's very valuable. Well, listen, uh, in the last couple of years, uh, you've seen a, a lot of – uh, pieces, uh, media pieces, how there are more players that are capable of playing at the NCAA Division I college hockey level than there are places to play. Uh, especially, yeah, with the influ- especially with the influx of European players that are coming over to, to, to play NCAA hockey. So uh, what they do over there at College Hockey Inc. is really, really important. Um, they provide the sort of information to schools that um, they really can't get anywhere else uh, without scrambling for it. You know, this kind of gives them a one-stop shopping kind of place to go to get the information and, and make those kinds of decisions, which are altering decisions, life-altering decisions. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, Absolutely. You know, um, and we're in a different landscape uh, than we were. Pandemic, uh, it, not included. Um, Thirty years ago, when a lot of the schools that are now in Atlantic Hockey were in the MAC Conference, and I don't mean Mid American, the Metro Atlantic Conference, where they had schools like Iona and Fordham right. and some other schools that ended up dropping their programs, um, they might have been able to survive or take some different, make some different decisions. Had they had a place like College Hockey Inc. to get information from and, and, and maybe explore other ways to expand the program instead of, instead of uh, dropping. Well, I, I took one thing very importantly away from Sean, and well, I took hundreds of things, but the one that sticks in my head, Paul, is the one we've all been talking about for a long time. And he said, we were very close to an announcement with the, uh, with Illinois University <laughs> Prior are, you to looking, the are you looking for me to um, come on? <laughs> I, I know uh, we're running out of time, but, but I, I do want to say that uh, I do think uh, when it coming when it comes out of his mouth that that maybe there's a little more credence to it because uh, I think he has a uh, a pretty good reputation, and I don't think the he problem, would say that, something I'm not that, saying that I'm not um, saying there is or there isn't, but that doesn't mean I want to hear it. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, uh, you so. Do. As we get ready for another NHL game, and my eyes are already peeled on the TV with the Blackhawks and the and the Golden Knights coming up. Doesn't start for another uh, ten minutes. You're good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it, I'm still hooked on this situation with the pandemic, and here's why, Paul. And I'll, I'll try to be quick on this so you can do your read. But um, the USHL is is going full bore ahead. They've had training. They've had um, main camps and prospect camps with hundreds of kids all over. Um, My friend, Kerry Eads is out here in Las Vegas right now doing a junior uh, camp with John Marks uh, at the Thunderbird junior program in Las Vegas. And they're going full bore. And then I go, like I said, I was at Oceanside doing uh, a what drives you last week. And that place was packed with youth kids. And I know they had a schedule all week long. So I see all this stuff. And I see the success with the NHL, and I know it's a bubble, so don't start on me on that. I know it's a bubble environment. But, man, oh, man, it it seems like college hockey is kind of getting a bit of the shaft. And the reason I say that is is because 
they're being lumped in with uh, football programs. Um, football programs are a lot different. They, they have a lot of kids. It's, uh, you know, it's just a different animal. And uh, I, I just wonder what, what the future lies for NCAA hockey over the next four months. And then I, I don't, I don't I think, think anybody... January is when it kicks off, though. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Well, it's, it's looking that way for just about all NCAA sports. Uh, you're, you're, you're talking about uh, the majority of the programs and, and schools have pushed things back. Okay. So uh, I, I don't see how everything doesn't get pushed back. I don't think nobody wants to, nobody wants to say we're not playing at all. Nobody wants to do that. And you don't blame them because things can change. And you don't want to make a decision in July or August that affects February until you get closer to February or you go closer to January. And I'm not saying I don't applaud that because we have issues here uh, in New York based on the same thing. Yeah, and, uh, I don't, and, and we're not going to get into those now because uh, it's not appropriate for the show. But... Um, you know, so these questions are abounding everywhere. So it's not like this is just that situation. Okay, my final word, and then go ahead and do your read. Um, one of the things that I heard a lot about today on, on sports radio here was um, this newest information of the way the virus can affect hearts in athletes. I heard it a lot of larger athletes, uh, i.e. football players, but I also right. heard that, that the fear is cardiovascular uh, problems with athletes. We haven't heard much of that. So God forbid, please don't tell me that this is another aspect of this uh, terrible virus that we're going to start to have to deal with. Because if it is, uh, it, it could put things in, into a, a pause or a hold again. And, and we certainly don't want that. So, Scott, um, no, this is, that's the, that is part of the problem, too. Nobody knows. Yep. Absolutely. Nobody knows. Um, straight answers are not available because there's too much division. Yeah. Uh, what, regardless of what side you come down on, uh, and like I said, I don't want to get into it uh, in, in, in here because it's not the appropriate venue. It's not the same thing. Uh, you know, this is this is we deal with it as we as we do. And we deal with it in ways that relate to what we do. But it is not, at least I don't feel that it's my place on this particular. I mean, have me on some other podcast somewhere with, <laughs> with a different subject and a different title and, and you know, and something that's outside of, of sports and hockey. And we're good. And, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll go at you all day long. All right, but let's uh, let, let's do your read, and then we'll thank our uh, our guests, and we'll uh, tell everybody that we're uh, going to be back next week as well. College Hockey Southwest Weekly has been brought to you by Bell Ford, voted the best Ford dealer in Arizona. The Arizona Ford Giant is the presenting partner of the Sunday Special. Asked to see our friend Kevin Wood. Tell him Ice Time Hockey SW sent you to see the top selling line of Ford trucks and more. Cold beers and cheeseburgers. Our dining rooms, in accordance to CDC guidelines, are open at all 12 Valley locations. And in California, visit coldbeers.com for more information. T-Mobile. See Andre in the Paradise Valley store at Shea and Tatum and let him show you the power of the new T-Mobile. Whether it's playoff time or any time, it's always time for the best barbecue in Las Vegas. Call 702-541-5546. And go to jessieraysbarbecue.com. Jesse Ray's Barbecue in Las Vegas. It's all about the butt. Buy Summer Skates. Our line of shower shoes can show off your fandom or team unity with a custom design. Visit summerskates.com. Behind the mask, it's time to get back to hockey. And for all your hockey needs, visit any of our three locations or go to behindthemask.com. By College Bar and Grill in Tempe. Buy ASU fans for ASU fans. Oceanside Ice Arena, home of the Devil's Hockey Shop for all of your ASU merchandise. 
Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila. Find the bottle that suits your taste. Go to MexicanMoonshine.com. Buy OxyPow. Visit our full line of natural cleaning products at OxyPow.com. Buy M-Drive. Go to mdriveformen.com. Use the promo code ICETIME, SW, at checkout for 20% off. M-Drive for energy, stamina, and recovery. And buy the Ice Den, Scottsdale, and Chandler. See the website for ice availability. College Hockey Southwest Weekly and all of the Ice Time Hockey SW podcasts are live every week on the Podbean app and available for download at the iTunes Store, Podbean, the Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. College Hockey Southwest Weekly is a part of the IcetimeHockeySW.com network. Couldn't have done it better myself, Paul. That was a great job. Um, uh, Big thank you to Sean Hogan from College Hockey Inc. for joining us. Uh, U of A fans, you'll know him as your coach. Uh, uh, ASU fans, uh, a great supporter and great friend of uh, head coach Greg Powers and uh, just awesome to have him on and, and explain what he does at College Hockey Inc. So, Paul, thanks for getting him on because that was all you, my friend. Um, yeah, so I'm, listen, I got to hold my weight on this. I have to hold up my <laughs> end of this podcast once in a while, right? Uh, you do more than that, my friend. Let's uh, let's say good night and tell everybody that uh, tune in Sunday night as we have a new special show coming your way. The details will be coming up shortly on our, our social media accounts. So tune in. Yeah, maybe you'll even tell me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I also keep it a secret from everybody, probably even the executive producer, but shout out to Terry Strandy for doing the bang up job again, as she's doing from Minnesota, doing us remote. And uh, we appreciate all of her work as well. Uh, let's say good night with Roger Klein and the Peacemakers and a little De Niro. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.